Cyprus. Pastor, you had um, a strong emphasis on uh, biblical fathers. Uh, and, and in the room, we, we want to be biblical fathers. We want to be taking the reins. And all that. How do we do that uh, if, if we never saw our fathers, let alone a biblical father? Yep. Great question. And so uh, a couple of things. One is that when I first got saved, two things that became patently obvious to me when I got married was one, I had no idea how to do marriage. Uh, even though my parents were together, and uh, I, I just never, I just don't know how they, there was no, you know, I just didn't see any interaction or any kind of guidance from them. And so I realized if I'm going to be married, I'm going to have to find out how. So I had to find out somebody who is willing to teach me. And every one of us ought to have a role model as a husband and as a wife. Ladies with the wives and you know, and so uh, you need to have a role model, somebody you see, and as pastors, and I think the reason he introduced me as this old sage that was around <laughs> from, uh, uh, from Noah's time uh, is the idea of, of, of you know, longevity. There's no point your role model being five years younger than you and hasn't you know, done anything. If I had a role model that's, you know, that's, that's, that's done some years as a, as a husband, and uh, model your life on them and then ask them the questions. So that's number one. Number two is reading books. As I began to read a lot of marriage books, there weren't a lot of them back when I got saved. Uh, we had papyrus and other, you know, other, other things. But uh, yeah, I began to read books on marriage and then of course children came along and I said, same thing again. Well, how am I going to do this? And I just kind of had the idea, you know, this wasn't formed in my head, obviously, but I just, this is, I get one shot at this. I better make it good. And I don't know how to do it. I'm going to read books. Read Dobson books, read other books that were there, and try to put that into practice, as well as role models of people raising kids. And so uh, the idea that the majority of us uh, are first-generation Christians, in other words, our parents were not Christians, uh, and we learned all about this stuff from them most of us are first generation christians uh, and therefore we have to we have to set the we have to set the bar high for succeeding generations by role models uh, prayer obviously asking questions reading good books uh, and applying it into our lives great question somebody else yes pastor in our congregations there's obviously a lot of single mothers sorry, sorry, sorry. Do you have a role model tonight? Have you ever thought about a role model? Have you ever, you know, if you don't have one, you need to get one. Uh, it's more than likely going to include your pastor. Ladies, have you got a role model? A biblical wife that you see, you can watch what they do, ask them questions, see what's going on. And then begin to follow. Okay, sorry, Pastor. You're my role model. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you spoke how fathers need to take the lead. And if uh, in a congregation there's as many single mothers, various reasons, something we can do either as pastors, disciples, congregation members to help uh, them uh, through being assistants. Is there something yeah, that we could do? To, to 
Great question. Number one is if, this, if you're a single mother tonight in a congregation, uh, then Timothy's mother, uh, she had an unsaved husband and uh, trained up Timothy to live for God and the grandmother as well. So the grandmother, and the Bible doesn't mention her husband, uh, that's Lois, or is it Eunice? It's one of those. Anyway, she's the grandmother. She got saved first. She's passed that on to the daughter who's married to an unsaved man who's passed it on to Timothy. And so the key there is if you're a single mother, then there's a lot of responsibility on you to take over both roles in the, this whole process. And it's a very, very difficult thing. And my heart goes out to single mums or mums with unsaved husbands because there's a lot of responsibility there. That's number one. Number two is that uh, either by uh, Lois and Eunice, their deliberate attempts, but they may put, uh, they put Timothy in contact with a strong male role model. His name was Paul. And so if I was in a congregation and I was a single mother and uh, I had, was raising some kids, I would make sure that they spent some time with it, the male Bible study leader their family, I would spend some time with the pastor and his family if that was going to be suitable, uh, but I'd try and get around some strong male role models. Uh, I can tell you that in a congregation uh, like a Potter's House congregation, we believe in male leadership. Leadership is male. And so just bringing them along to this church, uh, a Potter's House church, uh, there's going to be a male emphasis, if you like, the masculine emphasis that's going to help them uh, along those lines. And so those two things would be a great help to a single mother. Great question. Somebody else? Anybody who's not a pastor? All right, yes. If you're a, um, if you're a guy and you have a daughter, um, but when you smack her, you feel like you don't want to put the picture that guys can hit girls. So what, is it still good to? Smack them? Well, again, good to. I don't know if it's good to. Uh, but there are lots of uh, you know, ways of training children up from a young age. And uh, none of this, whether it's, whether it's uh, fathers uh, disciplining their boys with smacking, we're not teaching them to bash people or to be a bully or to dominate other boys, we're teaching them, because there's a, there's a nurture part of this, uh, that we agreed that this was the boundary, yes or no, yes that is, that's correct. We agreed that this would be the punishment, yes or no, yes it is. Therefore, there, I'm a man of my word, there's the punishment, I love you, I'm not allowing, I care for you too much to allow you to get away with these kinds of things. Uh, and so it's a very, uh, a proper discipline is a very um, a nurturing thing. And it's been my experience over the years that on the majority of times, it actually brings your kids closer. And they're apologetic that they've crossed the line and they've, uh, you know, especially when they're younger. So uh, whether it's boys or girls, and I think that there is a difference. And I think there's an age where that begins to obviously you wean it off the the actual smacking type of stuff and it's more uh, logical and rational and biblical and prayerful and guidance and so forth uh, and your uh, your uh, your punishments and your reprimands are more uh, taking away 
you know, benefits and taking away privileges and you're not going to be doing that because we agreed this was the thing and you've done this and so forth and you wean them off that. Uh, but I, again, a correctly uh, administered, timely uh, smacking from the Bible perspective does not promote uh, you know, male violence or uh, girls expecting from men to be dominant over them in some sort of a violent sense. What they're looking for in that sense when done properly is they're looking for a, for a, for a husband that cares about them as much as their father does. And uh, girls that don't have a good relationship. When, when a father's not active in a, in, a, in, a, in a child's life, two things happen. Boys, for, the, for the boys, uh, they, become, uh, they become addicted to risky behavior. Is they don't get any sense of um, of uh, a dignity from their father's involvement, and therefore they're far more likely to involve themselves in risky behaviour, to find their dignity in gangs, groups by doing the wrong thing. That's the outflow in boys, and then when the father's not active in a young girl's life, then that comes out in risky sexual behaviour, and she's then willing to give her body away to try and get from a boy what she's not getting from a father. That sense of nurture, that sense of covering, that sense of care. And so when a father's not active, they are the kinds of things that happen in children. So when he is active, he's doing all this kind of stuff and that brings the boys into that. They, they see dignity in their father's care. Same with the girl. She sees care and nurture and love and concern and compassion and she's looking for that in a, in a boy. Very good. Somebody else? Yes. There's one at the back here a minute ago. Okay, next one. Yep. Hi, Pastor. Um, how do you, this question is in reference to the teenage years, and I've heard, well, I am experiencing when, um, like, they're totally logical, and then next minute they're illogical. So how do you navigate through that, like, and then not engage in the snare of the argument rather justifying you know justifying rather than saying no this is what I've said kind of thing yeah if, 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 if for some reason you know they've lost control of their emotions and whatever else it's just a time out you know it's not you know you know it's not losing the it's not losing the uh, the overall process by saying you know unless they're using it as a strategy you know they can use you know, <laughs> this is too hard you know. Uh, you know, but if they if they just simply lost the plot, you know, it's no well, it's no point pressing in somehow. You, you know, they're not listening. So you know, let's take a time out. You know, you go and, you go and sit in your room, and uh, you got 15 minutes. Once you come out, we'll talk talk it over again. So you, I would just give them that kind of a time away to compose themselves. But you're not letting them off. They will come back. We will address this. We'll come to a logical conclusion. That's the same with married couple sometimes you're addressing something and it's the, the emotions are climbing so, so you know if we keep going here we're going to be throwing chairs across the room let's 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 just you know let's you know for whatever reason which is not going well let's do what we're going to do go to bed sleep let's let's make a time and come back and we'll address this when we're both in a better frame of mind and that's not a bad thing very good okay at the back here Do you have that book? Do you have that book? 
you need it. Come and get it. Men, fathers, Steve Farrer, point man. Do your poor wife a favour. Do your pastor a favour. Do your poor pastor a favour. All right. Then ask the question. Okay. Um, my question was, um, my pastor um, said that you have a success, uh, successful sons, the pastors also. Um, my question is, were there times where you felt like you um, made mistakes and like, uh, you know, and, and you thought, you know, if, uh, it was, you know, you couldn't. Change those. Um, yeah, like what were some of the weaknesses? Oh, <laughs> I got it. All right. Yes, a great question. A couple of things. One is that their mother's prayers and the grace of God, I, in my mind, were the most significant things in the children. All right. So their mother's prayers, and she's a woman of God. She prays. Uh, and uh, you know, if I was to put down the reasons, I think that they're, you know, they did well in that sense. Uh, was their mother's prayers and the grace of God? Uh, if you think for for one minute, and obviously I've got a couple of people here that you know were with me in that season. If you think for one minute that I made every good decision, and I'm I'm James Dobson or Charles Swindoll or or Steve Farrer, you are, you don't know me at all. And so, uh, but, you know, we obviously we gave ourselves to, but we made lots of mistakes. And our three boys, uh, they have uh, taken into adulthood uh, different pathways. Uh, one of them, uh, we, I put him out of the church, put him out of church on discipline, kicked him out, said, yeah, that's it, you're finished, out, you go. I had people come to me in my office at church begging me in tears, don't throw him out. He's gone out, he's thrown, I'm, th I'm throwing him out finished and uh so that was that one there another one he, he uh, kind of just navigated his way through pretty much a, a good pathway not without challenges and the other one uh not in any particular order but the other one you know with a lot of stuff I mean, at school it was a nightmare you know i mean it was it was you know it was a nightmare and so uh very you know our, you know, our best our difficult but I, again, if I could say, you know, harken back, uh, we were not perfect parents, uh, but we, 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 we weren't hypocrites, and we did our best to be consistent. And I think that's, you know, uh, I'm immovable in what I, want them to, what I want them to accomplish. And so they may not have done that all the time and, you know, wandered in and out of that pathway, but they were under no delusions as to what was expected, punishments, rewards, and so forth, uh, and uh, that stood them in good stead that they eventually made adult decisions to be converted. They're not Christians because they were raised in my home. They, they got converted, and they began to develop an adult relationship with God. And so, yeah, so what mistakes did I make? Lots of them. 
Uh, I'm not about to divulge all of them here. Uh, uh, but, you know, let me be very, very clear. My kids were not perfect kids. Uh, I think perhaps the, the, you know, in their entirety, they helped me to become a better father uh, because I was forced to try and find ways and, you know, mind depths of patience and just, you know, we're going to be doing this. Yep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yep. I'll tell your story walking. Yeah. That's where, you know, and that's where you're going to be going. You know, because you can t- speak to me. Okay. Yeah. I got it. Yeah, now do that. Now do what I told you to do. That kind of stuff. And so no hypocrisy, consistency, the prayers of their mothers, the grace of God. And, uh, Thank God it worked out all right. Let me also say just very quickly, I've seen very good parents and their kids just decide to backslide and, and go to hell. You know, save down the road, but they just, they just they abandoned. The parents were very, very good parents. And I've seen, I've seen some very bad parents who've raised tremendous kids. So there's a sense of mystery about this that it's not just clearly black and white. Uh, but if you're going to give your kids the best chance of making the right kinds of choices, then what I'm preaching is exactly the way to go. Good question. Uh, yes. Do you have that book? Uh, no, Pastor. Okay. Uh, oh, no, come, come. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I recommend you, you get the other one first, and then you do that one there. Awesome. All right. Um, my question really is, um, you emphasize on men being leaders, uh, and I grew up in uh, sort of, uh, my culture is a lot of uh, women who have taken over the leadership because men are at home, but they're absent. Does that mean the, um, the children are doomed, I suppose? Yeah, not doomed at all, you know. Again, my parents were unsaved. My dad was a, was a complete atheist. My mother was a Catholic, and I got saved. So, you know, the, par- the kids, every kid has a chance to live for God, depending, you know, independent of how they were raised. Uh, but you say a very wise thing is that different cultures have different emphases. And uh, there are a lot of cultures where because of the male, uh, because they, uh, they abdicate, their God-given responsibility of authority, yet they yield to laziness. And in the, in the vacuum, the leadership vacuum, the ladies have risen up to say, listen, we've we got, still got to get some stuff done here. And they rise up into that position. And, and if a man's not careful, uh, he abdicates the throne. And so well, if she's doing it, then I, 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 get a, I get a free pass here. Well, the Bible doesn't give you that free pass. And so uh, the challenge in Christianity uh, is it's not cultural, it's biblical. And every culture, the Australian culture, is, is by its very nature unbiblical and unchristian and carnal and worldly. And so when you get saved, you have to be able to, I have to be able to you know, say, you know what, the way I was raised, the nature of the country, the things that they emphasize, I've got to measure them against the Bible. And uh, that's true whether you're Samoan, Tongan, Maori, New Zealander, English, African, Indian, whatever. Every nationality has their own culture. But the key is when you get born again, this becomes your dominant book. And uh, if in your culture the men are taking a back seat and that's the kind of the way you were raised, you know, say, you know what, that's not biblical. I'm going to have to press into that kind of responsibility that the Bible says and like we preach tonight. Good question. Somebody else? Yes. 
kids. So that's, they just take up a lot of room. There's a lot of them. It's a lot of space taken up. There's a lot of noise. There's, you know, so I'm always very conscious of the fact that I'm walking around with five little children around me. Um, especially when I'm going to other people's houses, I'm in someone else's space. What's my, um, what's my goal with my kids? What's my, my standards for my kids, my rules for my kids when I'm going to someone's house or going out in public with them? Uh, more, especially at someone's house when it's, it's their sure. own space. What's my, I guess, my go-to? Sure. So when people invite me to their house, not now, but back in the day, when people invited me to their house, they want to fellowship with me, not me and all of my kids. As nice as they are, or were. Uh, but, you know, they, 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 they were not a fellowship with me, inviting me and my wife over for some adult fellowship. And so uh, from a very, from, the, from, the, from my earliest memories, when they're, when they're born, I make a plan to put them to sleep when we get there. And uh, like I said, train up a child in the way that he should go. That becomes, that just becomes second nature to them. Uh, they go there, they might get a sip of something, they might get a, dr a chip or some little thing, just a little, you know, and then, then they go to bed. And uh, you have to just, you just have to win that battle. And uh, once you win the battle, it, I mean, life is a, life is a breeze <laughs> because you, you, have, you get more invitations. <laughs> if we get past robbery, the kids go to bed, get past robbery, you know, that's great. You know, put the kids down and, and, away, and we can fellowship for whenever we want. And so the kids learn to do that. Uh, when people come to our house back in the day when the kids, you know, one, two and three, two, three and four and four, five and six, that kind of, when they come to our house, by the time they get there, they're in bed. And uh, because you know, I don't invite them to my house for us to be messing with our kids all night, you know. And so uh, my, uh, my, um, I would encourage you and other people that they would, uh, that the kids go to bed, find a way of putting them to bed. And I've gone to people's houses and the kids are up till 10 o'clock running a mark, the mum and dad. So I might as well talk to Anne. I said, man, I could talk to you like this at home. Uh, here, chaos, <laughs> kids going, the things going on, you know. And uh, how, how was your day, honey? And, you know, and, uh, you know pointless. Or other people, it's just like there's no decent fellowship around the things of God because the kids are running amok, you know. So my advice is from the from, learn to take, we would take them. The kids would have something to, to sleep on. We'd take a sleeping bag. We'd take a pillow, whatever. And uh, we go there. we put them down. We can stay as long as we want because they're asleep. End of the day, we pick them up, scoop them into the car, seat belts on, take them home, put them into bed. They don't even know where they've been. And uh, they wake up the next day and life goes on. But uh, if, you're, you know, if they're up all night, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you're running amok, they're not going to be up early in the morning getting ready for school and going to give themselves their best efforts at the academics of the day if mum and dad haven't taken the time to put them to bed. And again, that's not just when you're home, when you go out or when people come over. Very good. Good question. Yes. Um, if there was one book you would recommend when raising teenagers, obviously it's definitely the Bible, but if there was one book you would recommend to read when you're raising teenagers to, um, what would it be? And second question, what is the age limit when you're fellowshipping with your children? Is it 14 or 16? Like you just mentioned, when they're little, they go down. 
but is there an age limit when they're obviously teenagers? Yeah. Two things. Uh, anything by James Dobson. Uh, he has one called uh, Raising Boys. He has another one called Raising Girls. They're very difficult books to read, but you know, I, know that, you know, I can't. You know, I read uh, I read the boys one. I didn't read the girls one, but I uh, read the boys one. Found it very tough going, but uh, you know, worth the read. But if you read Dare to Discipline, because that's true, the principles here apply to six months old, six years old, sixteen years old. Uh, back when we, you know, we, we, when when the kids were in that age, we had, we called it a family meeting, and so we would always have dinner together. Uh, we, we never allowed mobile phones at the at the dinner table uh, because they didn't exist. Uh, <laughs> if I was raising kids now, a chance they'd have any digital thing at the dinner table. Forget that. We would, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but uh, you know, dinner table is, is you've got to do your best that you sit there at the dinner table, mum and dad. Uh, we had family nights where we try to dedicate a, you know, a, a night a week was family dinner. We, we're doing Bible studies, we're doing band practice, whatever we're doing, but family dinners. And even on the busy nights, we'd have dinner together. And uh, as best as we could, we'd also have family meetings as teenagers because uh, you know our best laid plans dissolved, I'd say, maximum six weeks. And so then we have a family meeting. I said, "Listen, this is this is ridiculous. What's going on here? You know, the, your mum's upset. We're going to do it." So we would bring the thing back in, establish the boundaries. We'd establish the punishments uh, uh, for the for the teenage the teenagers. Uh, treat them in one sense like adults. Work it through. But these are boundaries. We're not going to step outside these. Step outside. This is the punishment. And then again, that would be good for about six weeks. But by the end of the six weeks, I'm pulling my hair out. She's pulling, that's why I got none. And then another family meeting, and we, we reestablish the boundaries. But that's that's the process as we go through. New things come up. You know, then they got a driver's license. Okay, what's the? There's a new set of boundaries. There's a new set of uh, you know because he's got his license at 17 doesn't mean you can go with him because you're 16 or 15. You got to work it all through. You got to get some advice. You got to look at your role models. What are they doing with their with their teenagers? The kids, the people that have raised their kids up to 25 and 30, and living for God. What did they do when their kids were 16 and 17? And that's the value all the way through of those uh, kinds of things. The other thing you mentioned is as far as uh, uh, you know, what age would they would would they have an adult fellowship? That that depends. You know, again, I don't know, I don't set a time on it. But yeah, you know, if I'm fellowshipping with adults, uh, the 15-year-old's not invited. Take a chip and go in the other room, you know, or, or whatever. Read a book or do something, do something else. Because again, and then there are other fellowships where it's just a kind of, it's a group fellowship. All the kids are there, the parents, and it's, and we have a lovely time, you know. So it depends on what kind of fellowship you're having. If people are inviting me over and they want to really talk about something or the things of God or you know, anything that might be remotely, you know, um, family related, well, again, the kids aren't invited, you know. And if I'm talking to somebody and the kids come up, you know, I mean, the number of parents where the kid comes up and they merely break attention with the adult to, di- hey, I'm talking here. And, you know, okay, now what do you want? Okay. Don't interrupt again. Life goes on. But you've got to catch yourself at those. There's a million of them. 
at those things. What's best? What's expected? What should I be doing? A great question to ask your role models is when your kids were this age, what kinds of things were you emphasizing? And then the second corollary is if you were in my situation, what would you be emphasizing? Those two questions there for somebody who you, whose opinion you value are timeless and go across all, every area of the Christian life. What did you do when you were in this situation? And if you were me, what would you do? Great, two great questions. Okay, yes. All right. Can I have a book, actually? <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me hear the quality of your question first. <laughs> Secondly. What do you got for me? Okay. Oh, that was the question. All right. <laughs> I had two. All right. It was the first one. Yeah. Um, so after you have raised your kids in godly ways, in all the manners that it's good to do, then the kids grow up and become a devil. <laughs> Is it your fault? Is it because you have failed in some area in your life or in raising them up that they have become like that? Well, I think that would be a heavy cross to bear. But again, the point, the point being is that you don't want to, in this group of people, we don't want to find ourselves in that situation. We want to feel like we've given it our best shot. And if, like I said before, I've seen good parents with bad kids. I don't know what's gone wrong. I've seen bad parents miraculously raise good kids. I don't know what's happened there. Uh, but they're, they're the outliers, you know what I'm saying? They're rarities. I mostly see the vast majority are good parents who raise good kids and parents who aren't that diligent about it, their kids aren't doing as well. And so you've got to find where you want to be. Uh, but if, if somebody's kids go off the rails, I don't pull them in the office and say, you know, you raised a couple of devils. And I want you to bear the guilt and the reproach and the shame of that the rest of your days. I'm going to brand, you know, loser across your forehead and off you go, you know. You know, again, because they may have done their best with their abilities and whatever else that it is, and, uh, yeah, you're not going to do that. Uh, but again, on the start of it, you want to do your best, that you don't find yourself in that position where you have to wrestle with, did I do my best, you know. There were seasons when our boys were not doing that well that we have those kinds of thoughts. You know, what's going on here, you know? And, uh, you know, and obviously things have to work through. Things have to play out. Uh, sometimes kids do go off the rails, but you've, you've stamped them. You know, we used to say to our boys with absolute look them in the eye with all sincerity and tell them, you can backslide if you want, but you'll never be happy because your mum and I went to pray every single day you're miserable. Miserable. And every time you lay your head on the pillow as a sinner, you're going to think the rapture is going to happen while you're asleep. You're going to wake up and the world's empty. All the Christians are we're gone. You understand that? Okay. But you do what you want to do. <laughs> but I'm talking a legitimate, in the eye, tell them those, that. And, you know, it seems to have worked. All right. Come and get a couple of books. I'm giving you one on leadership because... Well, because I'm just giving it to you. And Why Revival Tarries. It's a great book. Pass that, read it and pass it around. All right, somebody else. Yes, down in front of you. 
My man on the front. What a guy. On the front end. Did you have that book? By the time I come here next time, you'll be running the church. Pastor, I've got a question. Um, with my son, um, I tend to uh, get a bit violent, or um, uh, when I get angry, I, I tend to swear. And then um, my sister, she helps me out a lot with raising up my son, and I tend to, when things, like when he irritates me, I'll, I'll ask my sister to take care of us, probably end up beating him up. Just the area there. Is that a character issue that I have? Or? I'd say so. Yeah. And, um, you know, and that's a, that's a very honest and transparent question and a very genuine question, and I, and I do appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, you're going to have to get before God and get the victory in that area. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of times anger is a, um, uh, is a, is a, is a character flaw uh, were you here on Monday night? Yes. Stop it. You hear the sermon, stop it? All right, so stop it. That's the point. Uh, is that uh, people come and ask me, Pastor, will you pray for uh, the spirit of anger? And I tell them it's not a spirit of anger. It's an issue of the will and a choice. And um, that you have to, the reason why people get violent is obviously lots of, lots of things, but in the end, they think it works for them. They use violence, they use aggression, they use swearing, they use intimidation, because to some degree, it works for them. Uh, and so, but the outcome of that is never good. And so, uh, but you have to make a choice that I'm just not going to do that. I'm not going to allow uh, anybody, my son, my daughter, life, circumstances, situations, the boss, another worker, I'm not going to allow any of those people to, to cause me to lose dominion in my life. And so, uh, and that's a, that's, a, that's a prayerful thing, to pray about it, but it's a decision. It's, you've got to train yourself to not do that. And in the meantime, you're right, you know, don't be in the situation, don't beat the kid up, get your sister to take over, all those kinds of things are good in the, in the, in the short term. In the long term, you're going to have to just get dominion. And, uh, you, you know, otherwise you're teaching him that that's the way to deal with frustrations. He frustrates you, you get angry, you swear. He says, okay, that's what happens in life. If I get frustrated by the teacher, I'm going to get angry and swear. And that, that's not good for him to learn that. Great question. Very good. Somebody else. Yes. Uh, do you this, have that one? I do now. <laughs> Give me a call on Monday and tell me what you think of the entire book. <laughs> You've got a challenge. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it back. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Uh, just... Uh, you touched briefly on the teens or the young adults, just the influence at, at school and <coughs> transferring it back to home and sort of all the stuff that's hidden from school and what they've been through through the whole day. Did you come across any situations with, um, with your three boys where it's going to come to surface sooner or later? 
but how, how do you deal with that? A couple of things. One is, like I said before, you are the dominant influence. Uh, and many times they'll come home with all manner of things they want to try and do and blah, blah, blah. And uh, they're really looking for you to help them make the right choice. And when you say, no, you're not going to that party and you're not going to go to that event. And uh, we never let our kids sleep over at somebody else's house who wasn't in the church. They could sleep at our house. We didn't let them go there. They could fellowship here. We would let them fellowship there. And so uh, you've got to make decisions about how to minimize the effect of the world on your kids, knowing that there's still going to be stuff coming in from various, uh, various places, including school these days. And so, uh, but you've got to be able to try and uh, cut them off at the past. What what did you teach at school? If you if you got kids at school, you need to know what they're teaching at at school. What level of sex education? What at what age are they talking about gender issues? How how uh, how strongly are they condoning homosexuality? Uh, what's the what's the banner downtown? Love is love. What was it? Love is love. You know. You know. Fair dinkum. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, a lot of sexually transmitted diseases. You know, they got they got the coronavirus. They've got they got boats out at sea. They don't want people infected with that, and yet they love is love. <laughs> you know, have at it. You know, I mean, it's like a little hypocritical. You got these poor people out in a boat. You know, done nothing wrong. Got a bit of a flu, and then they, they get these other people spreading diseases throughout the land, and you're promoting it. Anyway, I don't want to get on that to another subject, but, um, but you've got to try and cut off at the pass. Uh, stuff we, we, we learn from school, we've got to deal with. Stuff you don't know about, you can't deal with what you don't know about. Uh, and they certainly got away with more stuff than I would have been comfortable with at the time. Uh, but again, you got to, you know, your home's a refuge for them. You've got, to, you've got to deal with it at home. And hopefully when they go back to school, they've got a little bit of, you know, something in them that will stand against some of those temptations there. Uh, but, you know, the, our, I guess our boys would have had very few freedoms to do f wrong things until they got to 17 or 18 or 19 years of age in one sense because, you know, we're very, you know, we're at church, we're at outreach, we're doing different things. You know, they played some sport, but we're obviously it's a day, during the day and whatever else. And so, uh, obviously, once they get to leave home, they get to do what they want to do in that sense, and you, that's the product, you know. You've done your best up till then. Okay, one last one. Yes. Do you have a book? Oh. Have a read of that. All right. One of the best Christian books I've ever read. <laughs> Thank you. Go ahead. I have a question about um, financial literacy. So uh, my daughter's 21. My son's 13. And she's at university. So I've raised them as a single parent. And my son was born in church, and he's seen a lot of um, what I've done faithfully over the years, tithing. Um, we've given pledges, offerings. And, and my daughter has too. But what I've noticed is that when she's... Um, so she's in her third or fourth year at uni, and she's reading um, books that when I think about... So these are books like Rich Man, Poor Rich Man. Dad, Poor Dad, and... Yep. Um, some um, like grassroots investor, I can't remember. And so I'm looking at her thinking, 
is that a ref reflection on I don't want to be a single parent and I don't want to be like mum, you know, sort of like, you know, living week to week. And, and that's been, you know, we're in a blessed society yep. having these things. So my question is, what is the best um, advice and maybe direction to give my son so that he will have um, good understanding of, of handling money and being an investor? So my, a lot of my family, um, we don't own houses. And so, you know, that's, that's something that I would love for him to have, mm -hmm. but not as much as being a pastor. Sure. But I want him to have some understand a lot. Yep more understanding yep. well your, your best place is the church sermons on money sunday schools on budgeting all those kinds of things and you'd be surprised in a in a church that's you know has sunday school and preaching and so forth that they're going to get over time some stuff that's placed in them through the preaching and number two is you have to have in your own mind and, and i'm not sure that you're clear or you're not probably not clear in your question but clear in your mind what you're trying to put into them. Uh, the book Rich Dad, Poor Dad is, is a book I recommend, and I recommend that they read it. It's a, it's a secular book, uh, and it's a very good uh, book on the idea of, like you're saying, living, not living week to week and doing something to promote some financial security down the road. Um, and so, but you want to be clear on what it is you're, you're, you think that they're missing or that you'd like to put in, in them. When our boys were younger and they started getting some pocket money, um, uh, we would give them 55 cents. You know, very young. Back, you know, it was probably shekels or something back then. <laughs> stones or rocks or seashells. Uh, but we'd give them 55 cents because they put five cents in the offering. It wasn't perfect mathematics, but they got the principle uh, that they got a tithe, and so you know, if they get a dollar, they put ten cents in, and they get five dollars for their birthday, they got to put fifty cents in. So we, we we would cultivate that from a young age, just the honouring of God with the tithe, um, and so. Uh, but again, as time goes by, as they ask questions, you try and help them with the things as they're there. But you'd be picking. You want to know what you want to teach them, what you're what you're thinking about. Uh, live, you know, the idea of honour God with your tithe, live below your means. If you're in debt, get out of debt. If you're not, if you're not in debt, don't get into debt. Uh, put some money into savings, like some sort of a savings fund. And for the long term, part of your savings ought to be an investment, uh, some kind of a, a fund where you're getting some interest. And compounding interest, they say, is one of the eighth wonders of the world, that just money you put in here with interest that rolls over, uh, as time goes by, you can make a million dollars. They call it, the, they call it the, the, the latte law. If you had started 20 years of age and put $3.50 into some kind of a savings account every day, the cost of one coffee, then by the time you retire at 65, you'll have a million dollars in the account. I've been telling that story for 40 years and no one's ever done it. <laughs> but it's true, it's true nonetheless. And... Uh, if you'll do it, you'll have it, you know. All right. We're going to leave it right there. Appreciate you coming out tonight, and I'm uh, humbled by you being here. Again, like I said, no perfect uh, solution here, and certainly in my life, no, uh, no perfection. 
in that sense, but these principles have stood me in good stead over the years, uh, and if you'll apply those to your uh, parenting lives, that'll stand you in good stead as well. Uh, let's give it a clap off because our pastor comes.